Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Church. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here. We're glad that you are um, choosing to worship with us this morning. If you're listening online later or via CD, thank you for doing that wherever you are, whatever you're doing. We're glad to have you. Um, Before I get started with this morning's uh, message in the series we're in, I want to let you know um, a couple things. One, uh, we were made known that this past Friday night the police were called to our property here um, for an assault that happened in the back parking lot. And the reason I want you to know that is um, because I want us to to know, and I think we kind of know in our minds, but now we see not all is right in paradise, (laughs) right? Um, There's a young gentleman, 19 years old, who was uh, taken to the hospital in stable condition. We believe he's going to be okay. Um, They're looking for the others who are involved in this assault, Um, and it was in the evening on Friday night. And we want you to know um, what we are trying to do here at Grace Point Church is be involved in our community in a way that works for the common good, that makes a difference um, here in paradise. And there's things like this that remind us we have work to do. We have people to connect with. There's things like this don't need to, don't need to happen. Um, and this is some of the driving force for why we do what we do with the Together initiative that we're a part of. Um, for those of you who don't know, we're a part of a an organization, well, it's a, not an organization, but an initiative called the Together Initiative, where we're working with the township, uh, the factory ministries, the school district, and a couple other churches now um, to work together for the common good in our community. I want you to know that while that is primarily a summer push, it is also something where conversations continue to happen throughout the fall and winter. In fact, several have happened the last couple of weeks about how we can continue to partner more strategically with our community. We've had conversations with the school district as well as the townships. Um, in a couple local churches, and we'll continue to have those. Uh, but this is, what, this is where we live, and I want you not to be unaware of um, what happens in our community and right here on our premises um, here as well. Okay? Uh, so that's that. I also want you to know that um, keep your head up because in the next week or two, we're going to be announcing some opportunities for ministry for us next year, next summer in particular, with some international missions trips that we're looking to send and launch because we care not only about this community, but also about the gospel, the good news of Jesus going throughout the world. And so we are now with the missions team organizing some opportunities for us internationally uh, next year, and particularly next summer. So I'm excited about that. I I can't really kind of let the cat out of the bag yet, but it's coming here in the next week or two when we have details and things are finalized. So just kind of know that's part of what we do here as well. Okay. So with that being said... um, I want to uh, let you know that we are now in a, um, in a series, you find yourself here, um, in part six of a seven-part series called Blind Spots. And the, the, the deal behind the Blind Spots series is simply this, that we believe a lifetime is made up of days, and so the assumptions behind how you see today matters. Okay? The assumptions, the things that we believe are true without anybody questioning us are important to look at. And so from week one, we began to look at this assumption. Um, We kind of cut underneath this idea that I'll have more time later to do the things that I should do. And we looked at Solomon's wise words that the day of death is better than the day of birth. The idea that forward thinkers think backwards and orient their life kind of backwards. And then we looked at money, and we realized, okay, there's this feeling that all of us have that if only I could get just, I'm just like a step away from getting where I need to get financially. If only I could make a dollar more an hour. If only I could make this much more in my salary. If only then I would, and kind of this, this sensation of I'm only a step away from where I should be. And we talked in there in Proverbs 23, who, um, we shouldn't wear ourselves out to get rich. 
Again, Solomon reminds us in Ecclesiastes, whoever loves money never has money enough. And we looked at time and this idea um, related to time uh, that sometimes we say, hey, I don't have time for that. And now a, a famous kind of viral phrase. Some of you told me I should have used this and I didn't. I probably failed all of you in a public service by not saying what should I have said during the time thing. Ain't nobody got time for that, right? If you don't know anything about that, you can check online, YouTube, uh, whatever, kind of Google that thing. But the idea that we don't have time for this. In other words, we use time as an excuse and saying, oh, someone else has more time than I do because that's why they can be who they are. And yet we also know that everyone has the same amount of time. And so we use that as an excuse. We talked about small amounts of time over time make all the difference for us. And we looked in the book of Ephesians about redeeming the time, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So we looked at at those things and we looked at influence and we said this phrase, hey, someone should do something about that, right? Someone should do something about that. Someone got got beat up in the back parking lot, man, someone should do something about that. I hope someone does something about that because that'd be good if someone did something about that, I think. Someone, please do something about that. And we, we talked, hey, even a little bit of influence, even a little bit of influence can change your world and can change the world. First Timothy 4, 11 to 15, Paul is writing to Timothy saying, don't let anyone look down on you because you are, in his case, young. But set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and impurity. The idea that, hey, don't let anyone look down on you because you don't have the resources to do it. Step into it anyway. Use your influence, okay? Move forward. Last week, I held up before you a skateboard and a ping pong paddle, and it was kind of fun. And we talked last week about growth and the assumption behind growth that that God somehow prioritizes safety for us. And that was our blind spot, that we think God values safety more than he values risk. And we looked at the parable of the talents and the one guy who had one talent and buried in the ground and the, the master came back and was like, you wicked, lazy servant, you buried the talent. And he praised the other, the guy with five and the guy with two and said, well done, well done, well done. And we looked in there and said, we've got to, we've got to understand that growth is fundamentally risky. It's completely unsafe to want to grow spiritually. It's just completely unsafe. We've got to get ready for that reality. Now, this week, this week, week six of seven, we're, we're in a new territory. And I think by now, you don't need me to, um, to drive home the point that we have assumptions and that there are blind spots in our thinking. I think by now we've done enough um, brain teasers, right? We've done enough um, math problems and we've done enough connect the dots thing to figure out, yeah, there's some things. You know, I, I, I assumed and now I was proven wrong. I mean, I think we've done enough of them, right? So we're going to do one more this morning uh, to have fun. Okay, so here's the deal because here's where blind spots are. We don't think we have them. We just think we're right about things, right? I don't think I have a blind spot about how I see you or you don't think you have a blind spot about how you see me. We just think we're right in how we do it. So, so blind spots are, are those things in which we're like, I have an assumption about something that I don't even realize and I don't, I don't understand. So just to kind of get us oriented here, I want you to, to answer this question. How do you make seven even? How do you make seven even? Now, some of you know this, actually, and, and a lot of you are like, well, this can't be that hard, right? And I mean, clearly, all you do, all you do to make seven even is you remove the S, right? I mean, you guys all knew that, right? You just, uh, no one thought I'm going to add one to make it eight, right? And, and no one thought, and just subtract one, and no one started dividing in half and saying, maybe if I take the square root of, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, you just all knew right away, right, that, that to make seven even, you just remove the S. So here's the blind spot, right, that there's some way in which when you hear the words, that there's assumptions you have about the language 
that connects to something in your mind. You, you're thinking immediately math, and I'm thinking English. You're thinking math, and I'm thinking English, and I set you up for that, obviously, but we can do that, and so here's the thing. We have ideas like this in our world that we, we have been influenced to think a certain way Today we're going to talk about how we see people. We've been influenced by our parents, by our friends, by our surroundings to see them a certain way, to see them as math. And what if, what if there's something about that where we need to think English instead? Oh, oh maybe, maybe I have a blind spot. So have you ever found yourself saying this about somebody? So-and-so, fill in the blank, makes me crazy. You ever say that? Okay. Come on now. Yeah. Or, or... If only so-and-so would change. Like, if only, if only so-and-so would change. Like, they make me crazy. Like, my kids sometimes crazy. My parents sometimes make me crazy. Like, my sister sometimes, my brother sometimes makes me crazy. My wife never makes me crazy, sometimes makes you crazy. My husband, eh, you know, my boss, okay, I mean, oh, I'm just, I just wish, I just wish that they would change. And here's how, here's how things work with people, okay? Here's how things work with people. We put people in a box, okay? We put people in a box, and here's my box. And, and everyone is in a box, so when you see somebody, you kind of think, this is who they are. And we all judge one another, okay? We just need to be honest about that. You, you're judging me now, and I'm judging you, and that's just part of life, and it's discernment and wisdom that when we see somebody with a firearm, we make a judgment, like, is this person safe or not? Do they have a badge or do they not? And so we constantly perceive and judge people and put them in boxes. And so here's a box representing people. And here's what happens is we can put things in boxes, but what happens when people make us crazy, okay, is we put their crazy stuff in their box, okay? We put their crazy stuff. Like, here's the deal. Like, when he watches a sporting event, the Phillies, the Eagles, the Steelers, I can't be around him for 30 minutes after the game. He's a classic overreactor to all sporting events. Put that in his, his box, okay? We have something in his box, okay? You know what? I can't tell you the last time when he picked up his dirty socks. I'm constantly at home picking up his dirty socks. And, okay, box. Okay, put that in his box. It makes me crazy when he does that. Okay, Man, I wonder, I wonder what she does with her world. I mean, never working, like just seems like just kind of gossiping and on Facebook all the time. Like, what is it that she actually does? It makes me crazy. I come home and like, what has she done? Okay, in the box. You know, you have um, the coworker who comes in 30 minutes after you and they just don't get the work done that you do. Like, what is wrong with this person? They drive me crazy. They just never get the work done. Okay, put that thing in the box as well. You have um, family. <laughs> Missed the box. We put the family in the box. I mean, they, man, we've got Thanksgiving coming up. Okay, and we've got Christmas, and we've got a lot of things to put in the family box, right? I mean, there's a mess of stuff in this box here. I mean, people are driving me crazy. My kids don't listen when I say something. Put it in the box, okay? We have, this is how things work. So we have all kinds of things that go in the box toward people, and, and ultimately, we can kind of get the feeling of, okay, and I have one last thing I have to put in the box, and now, now I'm done. This is how we see people, right? I mean, they, they just make me crazy, and then we close the box, like, Good to see you this morning. 
It's good to see you. I know you got some things in your box, but it's good to see you. And, and what we tend to call these is we're like, this is, just, this is just the way they are. Like, this is just who they are. Okay? This is just them. And, and you all know we all have our own boxes, right? We all have our own stuff in our boxes that, of course, make other people create boxes for us. And so here's the thing, and here's how it works. What we call these things are, oh, it's, it's personality, it's kind of quirky, and just kind of the way they are. Now, the Bible has something different to say about this, and it's really um, kind of striking um, what the Bible will call this. And it's so striking that for me just to say it now will be like, oh, I don't know if I believe that. Sometimes the Bible is very black and white and, and doesn't really give a lot of room for gray, to be honest. It just calls it what it is, and we're just not that comfortable with that because we think that takes a lot of authority to do that. But the Bible will call really any of our actions that come out of selfish motivation, any actions that we do that come from just even a moment of selfishness, like, okay, like for the 17th night in a row, my, my newborn cried and my husband slept through the night. What's wrong with him? Why can't he hear? And then here's what husbands know. Sometimes if I pretend to sleep, she'll never know. And that moment, that moment, right, of selfishness, mm -hmm, I've never done that, but people have. That moment of selfishness is what, is what the Bible calls evil. 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 When we do anything that comes from that moment of this world is about me and I need my stuff, it becomes a matter of of evil. That's a tough word, isn't it? Because I don't often think of that when I'm in the middle of the night and, you know, Junior's crying. I don't think I'm going to be evil right now and let my my wife go, go get Junior. And I don't often think, hey, when I'm, you know, reacting from another sports event and and I'm just so consumed with myself and the emotions that I have that my reactions can actually be be evil because they're they're self-centered and I'm not really thinking about the people around me but here's what the bible says there's there's good and then there's there's evil it, just kind of the way it is and so what do we do the question is what do we do with this I'm going to I'm going to put this up here and and here's what I'm going to raise this guy hope you guys can see that okay that good you can see that evil evil we have the evil box the evil box right next to me and here's what we say <clears throat> with, with people like that. And here's, because here's the blind spot. We'll, we'll look at this box of, of someone that we know and we'll say this. The reason that I'm whatever is because they're like that. The reason that I'm not <clears throat> satisfied is because my husband is an idiot. The reason that our marriage is falling apart is because my wife is too busy for me. The reason that I'm not going to have a good time at Thanksgiving is because my family is evil. They're evil. They're a bunch of evil people. And the reason that I'm not finding a date is because all the other people out there are evil. I mean, look at them. They're just all selfish. You know, the reason that I'm is because them. So the reason that I is because of, because of you. And we point our fingers at a legitimate problem sometimes. There's a legitimate failure or problem that you have that someone will point out and say, hey, you're, you're, you're the problem. The reason that I'm not happy, the reason I'm not satisfied is, is, is you. Because you're in, in your box, just in case you didn't know, you, you, you have evil things. And you, do, you do evil stuff. You do evil stuff. So the question is, what do we do with that? How do we interact with people who clearly have 
evil tendencies? You know, what do we do and how do we interact? And is this, what do we do with this reality of this blind spot? You make me crazy. You've got wicked, evil stuff in you. And the reason, we'll say, oh, the reason, the reason I'm like that, if only you knew, if only you knew, my mother-in-law, I'm telling you, if only you knew, if only you knew my boss, I mean, if only, the reason that I'm tense is because of my boss. Okay, it's not my fault. They are making me crazy. Okay? The reason is because of them. And so the Bible has something to say about this that, to be honest, I don't think we're going to like. It, it, it comes off um, very hard and very difficult to swallow. Okay? And the Bible says something about this in the book of Romans. And so I invite you to turn there with me. The book of Romans. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one near you in the pew around you. And it's, um, the book of Romans is in the New Testament. And that's kind of on the right third of your Bible. You go through a few books first called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you get into a longer book called Acts. And then finally, Romans comes as the sixth book in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12 is where we land, and Paul is um, an apostle of Jesus. He's one who followed Jesus early. And he's writing to the church in Rome, which, by the way, was going through a very difficult time. They're trying to figure out their identity. They had just been kind of kicked out of, of Rome, and were kind of coming back now. And there's a lot of um, evil things happening to them. A lot of reasons they had to point at other people and say, man, these guys are really, really evil. And so Paul writes in Romans 12, and he says some things to us that are very uh, difficult to hear. And, and here's where he begins, where, where we're going to begin in verse 17 of Romans chapter 12. And he says this, do not repay anyone. What's the, what's the phrase? Evil for evil. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Interesting statement, isn't it? Do not repay. But wait, Paul, if only you knew, if only you knew, my in-laws, Paul, Paul you never worked where I worked. Paul, Paul, you have never been married to the person that I've been married to. Paul, you don't understand my family. Paul, wait, wait, you don't understand my roommate. I mean, they just have not paid and they haven't done their share and they're constantly in the bathroom. I mean, you should see what they do in the bathroom. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And then he says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of, of anybody, of everybody. Excuse me. In other words, here's what happens when, um, when, we, when something happens to us that is an offense. Um, immediately, when I'm offended, when I'm bothered by something that you say or by something that happens in my family, my immediate reaction is to, to, to kind of defend my rights. <laughs> you invaded my territory. Uh, you, you cannot say that or require that of me. I mean, come on, I have rights. And what we talk about in our family, and you've probably talked about in yours, is that the only way to stop an argument is to stop thinking about what you need to stop thinking about what you need and start thinking about what the other person needs. It's the only way to stop an argument. If you don't, you're just going to keep going through this cycle. They offended me. I have a right to be angry. And you're just going to keep going. And the only way to stop that, some call it forgiveness, is to say, well, I've been offended, but I have a responsibility to you. And so here's what we say. There has to be a discussion in our minds about rights versus responsibilities that I might have a right to be offended by the evil things that are in this little box, the things that you do that bother me and the things that, that I do that bother you. You might have a right. There might be things in this box. When you look at somebody around you and you look at your family, there might be legitimate 
legitimate issues that you need to work through that have really legitimately offended you. And the issue is going to be, when it comes to do not over, or overcome, excuse me, do not uh, repay evil for evil, is going to be, am I going to use my rights, or am I going to start talking in my mind about my responsibility? You might have a right to be angry, but what do you have a responsibility to do? And that change of language all of a sudden becomes very important. I have a right. I have a right to be offended by what you did. I have a right to be deeply hurt by the pain you caused me. And there are many things in that box that have caused legitimate pain for you. But what about what responsibility do I have? What's my responsibility to forgive? How far does that really go? What's my responsibility to love? I mean, how far does that really go? You know, what's my responsibility? Not just what's my right. And so Paul continues to write in verse 18. He says this, If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So here's what Paul knows. That there are some people in the world who are really um, peacemakers at heart, and they just love when everybody's happy. I mean, you know people like that. Maybe you are somebody like that. I mean, you just love when everybody's happy. It's so wonderful when everybody's happy, which happens like when everyone's sleeping, right? And that's about it. Once we wake up, then our will takes over, and it's over, right? It's over. So here's the thing. Paul says and knows this. If it is possible as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. In other words, as much as you're going to want to live at peace with a bunch of evil people around you, of which we are one, know that there are limits. There are limits to how much you can actually live at peace with people. There's a limit. There is, that's an important distinction because here's the deal for some of us. One author talks about it this way. He talks about the difference between peacemaking and peacemongering. Okay? Peacemongers are people who need peace and need peace in the family, need peace in the organization, need peace in order to feel good about themselves. That's what they need. And in, in the process of peacemongering, actually become very, very, very unhealthy and kind of coalesce to the lowest common denominator in their community or in their organization. And so nothing gets done. No vision is accomplished. No, no passions are pursued because we just need everyone to get along. And Paul's acknowledging there will be times when you work with people, when you're interacting with people, where you're going to try to make peace, and it's not going to happen. In as much as it's possible, in as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. But there's a problem here, if we're honest, and that is, Paul, have you seen, have you seen my husband's socks laying in the hallway, right? Have you ever been, right, to work with me? Do you understand what's in the box, Paul? And as much as it depends on you, okay, don't over, you know, uh, don't repay evil for evil and live at peace with everybody. It sounds wonderful, but Paul, you don't know the people that I know who are making me crazy. And what happens, Paul, if I do that? You know what's going to happen, Paul? They're going to keep doing the same things over and over and over again. If I keep picking up the socks, he's never going to learn. I'm never going to train him to pick up his socks, right? If I keep doing the things that, who is going to be responsible here? I just can't overlook all this stuff. What am I supposed to do? And so Paul writes in verse 19, very important little verse. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay the sock dropper. I, I will get him. 
you don't have to. I will get him. And he knows, and he knows what's going on. I, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, trust me. There is a sovereignty, there is a sovereign rule and watch of God that when we want to take the evil into our own hands and say, I have a right to be angry at my boss because of the way he treated me and the people around me. I have a right to be angry with my, at my family because of the way that they've interacted with my spouse and my kids and me. I mean, you don't know that if I don't protect my territory, no one will. And I'm responsible to protect my territory. And somewhere in there, God is saying, do not take revenge. Do not take revenge. God says, it is mine to avenge. Trust me that all the things that worry you, I see. And all the things that are on your mind and cause you stress, I know. Do not take revenge and repay evil for evil. Don't repay evil for evil. Trust me. And then he says in verse 20, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, Give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And this is a really funny verse. It sounds good until you get to the heap burning coals, doesn't it? Like, okay, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, great. Thirsty, give him something to drink, great. The good news for me is I don't know people who are hungry and thirsty, so this doesn't apply to me. Everybody I know has enough food and drink. Okay? And if they don't, I know where to, to point him. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. That language, we need to understand that because this sounds really funny, like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve you so God gets you. It's almost what it feels like. But that's not the language. The, the, what's behind the spirit of that is win them with kindness instead of vengeance. Win them with kindness. The heap burning coals, we don't use any of that in our language, but when, when used in New Testament time, the, the immediate understanding was this is what pricks the conscience. The pangs of the conscience are pricked by, by kindness instead of vengeance. In other words, serve the people who are evil. And in so doing, the hope is that you'll prick their heart toward repentance. Not by vengeance, but by kindness. Not because they see, oh, I shouldn't have, shouldn't have messed with you. You're clearly stronger than me. Whoa. No, I maybe shouldn't have done that because look at your response. It's... Loving. It's caring. And so he summarizes all this in the last verse in verse 21. Verse 21, he writes, Do not be overcome. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with what? Do not be overcome by evil, by this box, by the things that you stress about and worry about. You say, these people make me crazy and I just wish they were different. But he's saying in a way, okay, take the good box. And cover it, cover it with good. Overcome, overcome the evil with good. Overcome the evil with the good of forgiveness. Overcome the evil with the good of patience. Overcome the evil with the good of humility, with the good of service, with the good of believing the best instead of believing the worst. Overcome the evil by a second chance, or a third chance, or a tenth chance. Overcome the evil with good. And in so doing, the hope is, the heart, the conscience is pricked. So two questions, two questions for us. Number one, 
as we think about the places that we operate, the things that we do. When Paul says in verse 18, in as much as it is possible, or in, in as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The first question is this, what depends on me? What depends on me? In the relationships that you find yourself in, what depends on me? In other words, if you're a boss, okay, what depends on you in your work environment? I believe you have a responsibility to create a healthy, nurturing, mission-oriented, if you will, work environment where you're honoring your employees well and serving them well in what you do. If you're an employee, you have a responsibility, and you know this, to work as unto the Lord, not as unto your boss, which means... Okay, my boss might be the biggest jerk on the planet, but I'm not ultimately working for him or her. I'm working unto God. So I, what depends on me now in this relationship is I have a responsibility to work for God. Yes, you might have a right to be offended, but I have a responsibility. What depends on me? What depends on me is my responsibility. A parent... Raising children, what depends on you? Train up your child in the way he should go. Raise him or her in the nurture, the care, and the admonition, the boundaries, the disciplines of the Lord. As parents, as wives, as husbands, um, as mothers and fathers, we have responsibilities. What depends on us creating an environment where dads especially, we don't exasperate our kids with boundaries that are too high for them, expectations that are too high. As dads especially, uh, and I, I don't know how, if we understand how powerful our words can be in affirming our children, how powerful it is for you as a father, especially to a daughter, to look at your daughter and tell her, I love you. You are beautiful. Just even that language alone, how powerful that is in the, the development of a young girl in your home. We have a responsibility. What depends on me? What depends on me? Children, honoring, obeying parents. Yeah, but you don't know my parents. That's right. That's right. I don't know your parents. I just know what they might show up here on Sunday. But I do know this. Overcome evil with good. But my parents don't know anything. Good. Then by your good, show them how much you know. It'll go well. Honor and obey even when you don't feel like it. What depends on me? Okay? And then this question, what good can I do? What good can I do in the relationship that I have? What depends on me? Where am I responsible? And secondly, what good can I do? As a boss, perhaps you're seeing in your work environment, man, people, morale is lagging. It's kind of going downhill. I, I need to create something in my work where, man, I, we give extra time off, we give a, a bonus deal, we have a creative space in our work where we're, we go out for a little field trip and have some fun or whatever, but I want to honor my employees because they're serving me with what they have. They're giving me their best of their day, and I want to honor them well. As an employee, you might say, you know what, I don't, I'm not going to wait for my boss. I'm going to go ahead and bring donuts to work. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that because I want to do good in the place that I'm at. Doing good is very simple. And yet very difficult. Husbands and wives, I mean, you talk about the deep issues of forgiveness and grace and goodness. Talk about taking your spouse out for a date. If you haven't done that for a long time or a while, that's not in your regular repertoire. I mean, let's, let's move on that. And, and make time to date our spouse as well. Because it's so important to do good with one another and to have fun with one another. To enjoy being together. 
and engage in that time. With your children, the same thing, to create fun environments where they're seeing your faith in your life, to do good with your kids, do good with your family. When you're looking at, at uh, scenarios of what am I going to do in the future, what am I going to do with college and whatever, and we know people are going through that, to create environments where we kind of relieve that pressure and relieve that stress. What good can I do in the place that I'm in right now? What is the good that I can do? And, you know, if we're honest, and here's a, the interesting parallel with this, isn't this, this move right here from the, the evil box to the good box on top, isn't this the move that Jesus made for us? Isn't this the move of God to us? I mean, Romans 5.8 says, while we, were still, while we were still sinners, okay, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. He brought good to us. And this is what we are called to do. And so I know the pushback is, but you don't know how far my husband has gone. And you don't know how far my boss has gone. You don't know how far my neighbor has gone. You don't know how far my family is. And you don't understand the depth to which my roommate has hurt me. And you don't understand how far away they are. You're saying, you know what, you're probably right. I I probably don't. And I bet you have a right to be offended. I I bet you have a right to guard your territory. Because if you don't, who else is going to protect you? And I'm just saying that God has reached to you and to me through the love of Jesus and brought this good to an evil person like me, has reached so far into my world and into my life that sets the example for me. As Philippians 2 reminds us that we are to walk in the same way because of how Jesus walked, to consider ourselves nothing but take on the form of a servant who gave himself up on the cross so that good might come to to evil people like you and to me. And so what depends on you? What depends on you? What depends on you? And what good can you do where you are? What good can you do? I don't want us to be people who have these boxes and point at them and say, they're the problem. Those people are the problem. This is not what we do. Yeah, there might be a problem there, sure. But here's what we see instead. There's good to do. There's good to do. And I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to overcome evil with good, the same kind of good that was shown to me when Christ came, died and reached me deep in my sin. What depends on you? What good can you do? Let's pray to God. Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the chance this morning to see again in the Scripture some things that we know are true and yet sometimes are are hard. We can have a tendency, all of us can, to blame other people for the problems that we experience, for the troubles that we have. It is easy, it is so easy to be offended, to look at and say, that, the reason I'm this way is because they're that way. And if they weren't, then I wouldn't be. That's just easy. But God, you call us not to the easy things, but to the right things. And so I pray that you'd give us courage here this morning. As we're coming up on Thanksgiving time with family, some of us are getting ready to go back to school after a little break and going to be with a roommate again or you know, we're planning to head back to work this week and things are tough and our rights have been violated Father give us wisdom and give us courage to overcome evil with good with patience with forgiveness, with humility trusting that you are a sovereign God who sees it all and knows it all 
remind us of just how far you've come to reach us in this process as well. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name.